Welcome to the London Clinic podcast. This is Daphne Power. The London Clinic is the oldest and largest independent hospital in and around the Harley Street area. We're also a charity. In this episode, we will be exploring our pioneering centre for robotic surgery and following a patient pathway for the treatment of prostate cancer. The London Clinic was the first private hospital in the UK to introduce robotic surgery. We're in theatre with Professor of Urology, Procardus Gupta, to learn about this pioneering procedure. So what we are doing here at the the Centre for Robotics is an operation called Robotic Assisted radical prostatectomy. Let me explain this to you. There is a misconception that the robot does the operation while I am sitting there enjoying a cup of coffee. This is not the case. The robot is under control of the surgeon. It is also known as a master-slave device, i.e. the surgeon is using the robot a bit like driving the car, so this is keyhole surgery but done differently. Uh, And the way we perform this procedure is to make six small cuts on the tummy rather than a big cut, attach the patient to the Da Vinci robot named after Leonardo Da Vinci who described robots over 500 years ago and then we attach the Da Vinci system to these little keyholes. So, the system has tiny little wrists. These are like uh, the human wrist, except they have little uh, tweezers at the end and scissors, so you are able to cut and uh, stop bleeding with these. But the robot also has two other important elements. One is 3D HD vision, which is magnified 10 times. So the prostate gland, which is normally the size of a chestnut, looks like a football to the surgeon. Here is Tom, who shares his patient journey. Um, I first became aware of prostate cancer with, through a friend of mine, who about 15 years ago had the operation. And this friend's very close, but he had horrendous problems, horrendous problems after the operation, nerve damage, um, incontinence, everything. And for the past 15 years or so, he's really struggled and he's been through various operations. So I was on alert and he kept reminding me to get myself checked, which I did. And then it was through having a kidney issue that my PSA was tested through, through a kidney operation. And my consultant at the time said, we ought to get that checked out. I had a, um, 
examination and there was a raised area of my prostate um, which I was advised to get um, further investigation on which I did and that came back um, benign so um, for another 12 months I completely forgot about it until I had another PSA test and it got up even more and my consultant said let's do um, uh, let's do a scan and an internal examination and then that um, identified some cancer on two parts of my prostate and that was so it was my friend making me aware mm. me being aware and then through sort of my own due diligence so otherwise you wouldn't necessarily have them um... um i was on alert because of my friend mm. um but because I was having kidney issues, it was sort of in the same area, so it, not, it could have been linked, related, whatever it might be. Here we are in Regent's Park on a nice, bright winter's afternoon. There are no roses, at the, unfortunately, but in the spring and summer, it's easily my favorite running place. Go around Regent's Park, which is a three-miler, then run into the park, then cross the park, go up Primrose Hill. Well, uh, we try to explain to our patients uh, that we speak from experience about wellness, uh, good health, good preparation, and optimization before robotic surgery. And I tell my patients, look, it's like preparing for a marathon. Well, when, when the consultant first came back with the results, I was completely dumbfounded because I didn't expect to have it. In fact, I don't think any man expects to hear you have cancer. Mm. Um, so the, for the first few days, I was sort of a little bit in shock, thinking, what do I do? Um, but then when you come to, come to terms with it, you then have to take an action. And that then begins a journey that I feel a lot of men would be confused by because you have a choice. The most confusing aspect of the conversation I had with the consultant was if you have a burst appendix, for example, he says, I'm going to take it out. You have an operation, it, it heals. If you break an arm, you get, you, you put, you're put in a cast. The control is taken away from you. With this, it's back to me to make a decision on what I think is best for me. And that depends on my age, my fitness, my lifespan comes into it, my lifestyle comes into it, and then that determines what type of operation or procedure I have. So having that choice becomes very difficult, and I feel a lot of men would struggle with that, as I did. So the psychology of it is really challenging. I remember very clearly, nearly 17 years ago now, uh, when we were probably trying to explore as to uh, how robotic surgery might make a difference to our patients. At the time, the standard of care was open surgery, which uh, for the non-surgeons is simply making a cut uh, on any part of the body where you have to remove the damaged organ from clearly led to more bleeding, more pain, and uh, 
perhaps longer stay in hospital? There were three choices that I, I explored. One was radiotherapy, and I saw a really fantastic lady in, in, um, in the Midlands who said the, the, the rates for success on the radiotherapy are equal to operations, either robotic or normal processes, so really give it some thought. The upsides are it's not an operation. The downsides are um, it has to be really accurate and it could take longer. The second area was literally normal surgery and I saw a really good guy again in the Midlands who didn't do robotic surgery because he wanted to get and touch and feel the area and use his expertise to make it as accurate as possible. And then the third area is robotics and for that I did a lot of research I identified a, a, a great guy called Professor Descupta in Harley Street and I read about him because other surgeons had been to him for the same operation and when a surgeon goes to a colleague for help and advice you know they're going to the best place and I, I left the robotic surgery with Professor Descupta until the end because in my head, I felt that was the right thing to do because of the research I did coming out of the States and the UK. And I, at the end of that process and that discussion with the professor, I said to him, how do I make a choice? And he looked me back in the eye and said, you have to look at the three of us again and look us in the eye and say, who do you trust most? And I reflected on that and I came back to him and said, I trust you the most. And I that trust was absolutely in the right place. You see the uh, operation on the prostate gland for cancer or say the bladder for cancer is very different from the way we performed open surgery all those years ago where we would make a cut on the lower part of the tummy and take the diseased organ out. The problem with that was a uh, lot of blood loss, more pain, uh, and longer hospital stay for our patients. With robotic surgery, we, performing the, we are performing this keyhole through six uh, small uh, cuts on the tummy uh, where the patient is attached to uh, four robotic arms, one for a 3D HD camera, and the other three for tiny little seven millimeter instruments, which are like a human wrist. While this is uh, very uh, good for the patient because they lose less blood, have less pain, and stay for a shorter time in hospital, uh, it also means that the patients need to prepare. The reason for that is the patient is no longer going to lie flat on an operating table, which is the traditional way of performing open surgery, but they would be tipped head down on the table to about 45 degrees. Furthermore, uh, we put through these little tiny cuts on the belly uh, a gas inside to blow the belly up so that we can create the space uh, to perform this kind of operation. What does this mean for the patient? It means that there is pressure on their heart, on their lungs, and they need to be fit, well and healthy, drop some weight, stop alcohol, stop smoking, do everything right to optimize them uh, for uh, their operation. So we lead by example, and therefore here we are in Regent's Park, actually leading by example 
and actually running and training to do a marathon. So how did you find your, your treatment? How did it affect you physically, mentally? Um, well, physically, there was no... Uh, I was having one or two symptoms around... Um, because I had a kidney stone problem, mm -hmm. we were trying to identify whether it was kidney-related or prostate-related, which is why I got raised in the first place. But because my PSA was raised, I was on alert. So there are no real symptoms, and that's the issue that gives us the, the sort of false reading of the situation, because men will go to a, a doctor or a consultant because they have a problem. It's, it's either physical or whatever, and they can explain it. When you have no symptoms, it's very difficult. So therefore, the, the, the need for readings and PSAs or whatever other tests is really important. Um, the, the symptom, that, and that, that's the one thing you have to get your head around. There are no symptoms, so therefore, why am I doing this? And what I had to do was to think, what would my lifestyle be like in 10 years' time if I didn't do this? I thought back to my friend who was having a horrendous time, would I be like that? So I had to take action. It was up to me to take action. There was no pressure from any of the consultants to do it now, except their advice, if you don't do it now, you'll have to do it some stage in the future. It may be more advanced, therefore it's more tricky the process and um, more invasive and therefore um, by putting it off you're storing up a problem yeah. so I took particular action. But would you mind describing what sort of cancer it was, what level it was at? Yes well I had two tumours on um, and I, I still internally smile at the professor on this one and I'll explain why because part of the process I had a 3D image done of my prostate mm -hmm. Um, which was really useful for the anaesthetist and the professor to accurately look at what the issues were. Um, so I had a tumour on my left side of my prostate, a small one, and then a larger one on my right-hand side. Um, and just before the operation, um, the professor came in and I was, I was in my gowns ready and he said, we're all set to go. And, and by the way, here's the 3D image of your, your prostate. And, he, and I looked at it and I saw the black marks. And he said, it's going to be tight, but I've got a lot of room to play with on this. So the, 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 the surgery will be very accurate. I've got loads of space to play with. And I said, how much have you got to play with? He said, I've got a millimetre here and three on the other <laughs> side. And I said, a mil you've got a millimetre to play with. And that's, he said, yeah, plenty. Trust me. And I said, you said to me that a few weeks ago, and I do trust you. I went into the operation, came out, and everything was great. But I couldn't believe the accuracy of which he was working with. A millimetre um, is nothing. But to him, that's a lot of space to play with. The history of robotic surgery is uh, international, but at the same time very British. The first uh, robotic procedure was now performed 30 years ago uh, as a collaborative effort between uh, John Wickham, who sadly passed away, uh, and uh, Brian Davis. John Wickham uh, was a pioneering uh, surgeon, uh, and uh, legend has it that he used to operate in the same operating room as I uh, do today, all these years later. So uh, a nice piece of history. And what Wickham did was uh, create a gantry uh, which used to hold a robotic arm along with Imperial College London 
which is where Professor Brian Davis was uh, an engineer. And this robotic arm was able to create a channel in the center of the prostate gland, which enlarge as men grow older and block the water passage. Therefore, creating a channel would allow the man to pee better. So this was not a cancer operation, but this was for a common condition that affects a majority of men as they get older. And while the traditional procedure is to do this with an electric current, with a human being doing the operation, uh, Wickham's uh, robot called the Probot could vaporize the inside of the prostate and create this channel in the middle of it in a completely automated fashion. 30 years ago, patients were willing to accept uh, automation, but as times changed, we moved on to systems which are called the master-slave system, whereby the master, in this case the surgeon, controls the robot from a computer console. Uh, so the robot itself does not have a mind of its own and could not, cannot do anything in an autonomous fashion. The world leader uh, in uh, this kind of a system is the Da Vinci and we have been using it here at the London Clinic for 15 years. The clinic, in fact, was the first private hospital in the UK to install such a system, a pretty revolutionary thought process uh, in 2004-2005. Now the number of uh, robots uh, in the UK are nearly 75, and 90% of prostate cancer operations, otherwise known as radical prostatectomy, are performed robotics. So this is a complete shift from 20 years ago where majority of these procedures would be done with a cut uh, in the lower part of the tummy or open surgery. Now, there is another revolution happening yet again, uh, which is a number of new robots coming to the market again. They are master-slave systems, but there is a renewed excitement and interest in automation or semi-automation, where certain parts of the operation, such as stitching, uh, one part of the body to another, uh, which is a mechanical uh, process, could be done in an automated fashion better by a robot than by a human being. An example of that is the star robot, which uh, was able to stitch bowel better than uh, human beings, and this was published in a major science journal some uh, three years ago. Uh, so there is renewed interest in that. And even more interesting is the role of machine learning and artificial intelligence trying to learn from a surgeon's movements and uh, using various measures which are again automated to teach the next generation of surgeons how to operate better and how to be safer surgeons for patient safety. In 2018, Professor Descriptor was awarded the Fellowship of King's College for his work in robotics. It's quite uncommon for a clinical academic to be made a fellow of King's. It's our highest honour, you know, and it tends to be given to people who've had the very highest accomplishment in life. They're, uh, you know, they've reached the highest levels of the judiciary or the business world, or they have Nobel prizes. You know, this sort of thing. I'm uh, Professor Edburn, the president of King's College London, but also the chairman of King's Health Partners, the academic health partnership between the university and the big hospital south of the river. Um, Great teaching hospitals at the highest level uh, are involved uh, in great treatment for patients, but also in great research in the development of innovative treatments. 
uh, and the passing of that knowledge on to the next generation of experts. Uh, this all depends on having a series of fantastic people uh, who are doing frontier research, uh, who are teaching uh, younger people uh, and who are treating patients at the highest level. Now we're incredibly uh, fortunate in London and at King's to have Professor Prokhar Das Gupta uh, work with us. Uh, he is uh, one of the leading uh, urologists uh, in the world, uh, one of the leading prostate surgeons, and he's been responsible for a number of new innovative discoveries. Uh, his work uh, on Botox uh, and irritable bladder was absolutely seminal, uh, and he's been a pioneer uh, of the treatment of prostate cancer, not only robotic surgery, but robotic surgery in the main. Um, he, uh, he's developed new techniques, he improves the techniques, uh, he trains young surgeons, uh, and in his hands and in the hands of his team in his clinic, uh, the outcomes uh, are among the very best in the world for men with prostate cancer. Uh, Prokar is one of the very few clinical scientists to be made a fellow uh, in my time as the president of the university and it is because he is such a leader uh, throughout the world, not only in this country but throughout the world, in an incredibly important area of medicine. You know, after all, you know, prostate cancer has an enormous uh, prevalence among men uh, and 25% of people who get prostate cancer still have a fatal outcome. But for many, the outcome is much better than it was a few years ago. And Procar is at the crest of the wave in developing new treatments and in delivering current treatments in the most effective way possible to the, the patients who he looks after. And how did you feel after the surgery? Um, well, the, the pre-care, the, the pre if I could call it that, with the nurses at the London Clinic is is fantastic because they do prepare you mentally and physically. Um, the one thing I would say is listen to what they ask you to do. So you have to do various exercises to take control of your 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 bladder and your muscles around that area and it, it was instilled upon me that the more you do that the better you'll feel after it and the recovery will be quicker. So I'd, I'd suggest anyone who gets that advice just take it. Um, and then do a lot of reading keep your fitness levels up um, the anaesthetist in a very polite way said I needed to lose one or two pounds um, so I upped my running regime and I got to the point of feeling healthy when I went into the, uh, the surgery um, so the pre-care was really good so when I came out of theatre um, um, and, and this had been drummed into me before with the pre-care with the nurses. The, 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 the success of the operation is not down to whether your scars heal. It is about the physical passing of wind. Because when you're in theatre, your body's at a 45 degree angle. Your organs are all messed up because they pump air into your stomach so the professor can get to your prostate without damaging anything else. So therefore that process, which we all joke about and laugh about and talk about, it's a really important aspect of the success to ensure that everything is working normally and physically. And in the room, we, we used to have a joke about it with the nurses, male and female, have you passed minute? No, not yet, but I'm sure it'll come. <laughs> and it, because it was light-hearted when it happened, there was a sort of uh, celebration around it because to them that was success. Um, and I went home the following day and then I had seven days at home with a catheter mm -hmm. taking it really easy there was nothing to do except relax 
Um, and then after seven days, I went back to have the catheter removed. And that at that point is where psychologically you have to be really ready for what might happen. Why? Because, because my thoughts are with my friend that I spoke about. When he had his operation, he was incontinent, and therefore you think, right, when that catheter comes out, what's going to happen? And I said to the nurse before she took it out, what might happen? She said, not quite sure yet. If all goes well, you've got complete control. If not, then we have to see what we do. We may have to keep the catheter into a while. And no man wants that, but fortunately, when my catheter came out, I was able to control everything. And that feeling was wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. And the nurses, to be fair, were as pleased as I was because that's all part of the success of the team approach that London Clinic take. So it was a, it was a good feeling. So I was able to go um, back home that day um, with no catheter and everything was absolutely in, in control. And physically, did you feel in pain at all? Um, no, because um, w when I think back to the surgery and I look at the, 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 the scars that I have, there are five, one, one puncture hole about the size of a, um, a two pence piece in the middle of my stomach and then four smaller ones where devices were put in. But beyond that, no, the scarring has gone. It was on my stomach and I've got a little bit of a hairy stomach so all the scars are covered. The scars are covered and um, there, was no, there was no reaction whatsoever. Um, nothing. Do you think there's anything else that um, from a... And this is kind of me just asking actually... Um, from a psychological point of view, more that we could do in terms of support and that sort of thing. Well, part, part of the pre-care is, is the one area I've not touched upon, and it's the obvious one, because there are two things that happen. There's, 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 there's two things that could happen. One thing that does happen is you could be incontinent and you may have trouble with erections. Mm. And it's not something men want to talk about. But in the pre-care... When nurses are talking to you about that, you think, whoa, this is interesting because you don't normally have those discussions with anyone except your partner or other close friends. But once you start getting too easy with that, um, it helps. So psychologically, you have to get into your, into a place where you start to talk openly about it. Um, and the nurses are great because it's very matter-of-fact but done in a very, very good way. So after the operation, there's two things that go through or went through my mind. Would I be incontinent and what would happen with the erections? Um, and to be fair, both are absolutely fine. Now, the erection side needs a little support, but that's when the aftercare comes in um, that the professor referred me to another colleague and there's tablets you can take. But over time, and the, the, the key thing that the professor said to before the operation, when we talked about all this, He's got a figure, a picture that he shows people of um, a torso. And he said, that's where the erections start. And it's not below the waist, it's in your head. It's in your head. So that the psychology of it is important from that side as well. Not just getting through the operation, preparing yourself, but what will happen afterwards or what could happen afterwards. Special thanks to Professor Descriptor 
and Professor Ben for sharing their expertise in this important area of development, and to Tom for generously sharing his story. Please visit www.thelondonclinic.co.uk for further information. If you liked this podcast, please do subscribe and share. Thanks to all the London Clinic staff who made this podcast possible, and thank you for listening.